Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So as I said earlier, we're at the 13th class of our 14-class structured study of wise restraint. This is the practice of the Dhamma uh, in life as life occurs. It takes concentration and the right framework, meaning the concentration developed through jhana meditation and the framework of the Eightfold Path. And that's specifically what the Sika Sutta uh, teaches. So we learned last week that the, the focus of the Buddha's Dhamma is to recognize and understand dukkha, all forms of stress and disappointment, uh, and so that we can end our contributions to our own stress and suffering. Uh, and we do that again through understanding this and practicing wise restraint that is made possible by understanding the impersonality of all manner of human life. There's nothing that we that we can or should take personally because nothing is personal. It's just life unfolding. Um, so the Sika Sutta. The Buddha addressed those gathered. Friends, there are three trainings that I teach. I teach training in heightened virtue. I teach training in heightened concentration. And I teach training in heightened wisdom. That refers to the threefold eightfold path, meaning right view and right intention, are the, the trainings in virtue, right, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. What did I just say? Right speech and, and right intention are the wisdom factors. Right speech, right action, and right livelihood are the, are the virtuous factors. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation are the concentration factors. The training, the Buddha continues, the training in heightened virtue brings restraint in speech, actions, and livelihoods. So right off the bat, the Buddha is teaching us, this is what we're doing. We're developing restraint. The purpose of the Buddha's Dhamma is to bring restraint in speech, in our actions, in our livelihood, in our overall behavior. This Dharma practitioner remains pure in their behavior at all times. So I'm going to read it again because that one, that two lines is Dhamma practice if we can incorporate it in this way. The training in heightened virtue brings restraint in speech, actions, and livelihood. This Dharma practitioner remains pure in their behavior at all times. So, of course, that refers to um, right view and right intention. But right view and a fully developed right view encapsulates all the other factors of the Eightfold Path. In other words, to develop right view to its culmination, which is a profound understanding of Four Noble Truths, does encapsulate or does by necessity, incorporates all the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path that supports uh, right view. The Buddha continues. The wise Dharma practitioners trains, them, trains themselves following these rules of behavior and understand the danger of even the slightest deviation. Another important teaching. This is called training in heightened virtue. Heightened virtue is, the tra is training to recognize even the slightest deviation in our behavior. Why? Not because we're going to burn in hell forever, but because it's going to obviate our developing the Dhamma. It's an, if, we're, if we're clinging to those aspects of behavior that is less than virtuous, it is those aspects of behavior 
that are revealing our eye making, what we're clinging to as who we are in this world. And it is that which we are clinging to that will cause the pain in our life. It'll, it'll, it is that which we cling to that distracts us from this moment. It is that which we cling to as our identity that denies us the, the ability to practice wise restraint in this moment. So I could either be free and liberated of fabricated views of myself in this moment, or I'm not. And that's the choice that as wise Dharma practitioners we have each and every moment. I say this in different ways. Sometimes I say it in this way, that this moment holds the potential to either continue ignorance or to further our minds towards awakening, to continue right mindfulness in the entire Eightfold Path. This is called training in heightened virtue. The training in heightened concentration, or jhana, develops the concentration, this is the Buddha's words, the training in heightened concentration develops the concentration necessary to support refined mindfulness. This Dhamma practitioner remains secluded from sensory indulgence and unskillful mental qualities. Excuse me. So when our minds are all full of jumble, we can't seem to control it. It's one thought after another. And we wonder, how am I ever going to gain control of my, of my mind? We do this one thing. The training and heightened concentration develops the concentration necessary to support refined mindfulness. So what do we do when we recognize that our minds are out of control? We do jhana. And when we do that, the Buddha teaches this Dharma practitioner will remain secluded from sensory indulgence and unskillful mental qualities. So we establish concentration first on our cushion. And that concentra- concentration establishes, what was that movie? I don't know if you, it's, it's, a, it's a, a pop culture reference, so some of you might not reference it, but there was a movie called Meet the Fockers, Fockers, <laughs> And in that movie, I think it was uh, Robert De Niro that created the, the circle of friendship. Was that right? Circle? Did you see the movie? Uh, right the, the, the what? The circle of trust. So we create our own circle of trust through the seclusion established in jhana meditation. It's our comfort zone. But we establish it ourselves through jhana meditation. And that is the seclusion that we take off our cushion into our moment-by-moment life. So a mind well-concentrated in the, what was it called? The cir- in, in our own circle of trust, in our own circle of comfort, in our own circle of understanding, we engage in the world. But if we maintain our circle of trust, we trust ourselves to live in this moment. It's such a great metaphor. Glad I thought of it. To live in this moment, we are liberated from the effects of the world. And yet we are fully engaged in the world. Does everybody here see what I'm talking about and understand it? Because of the seclusion we establish on our cushion and the understanding we bring off our cushion as framed by the Eightfold Path, we're able to live in the world liberated from our own ignorance. Not liberated from the world because the world is still the same, isn't it? So what are we truly liberated from? Again, we're liberated from our own ignorance, our own thoughts about ourselves in relation to the world are now obviated out of our existence and maintained that way from our seclusion that we established in jhana meditation. They enter and remain. When we do that, 
They enter and remain in the first jhana, which is characterized by rapture and pleasure born of seclusion and accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. So now we're referring to the practice of deepening concentration and how to recognize that we do it. So we start our jhana meditation. <coughs> Excuse me. I need a drink for this. So we start our jhana meditation. We're leaving our busy day behind or we're just beginning our day and we're caught up with the thoughts of our day. We come to our cushion or whatever our meditation spot is and it should be a, a, uh, a regular spot. It should be something that we maintain as our meditation area, if not a room. And so we sit, we close our eyes and we take a breath. And we recognize the rapture born of that seclusion. Rapture is an archaic word that in this, in this reference does not mean the second coming. It simply means joyful engagement with what we're doing. And if we don't feel that in the beginning of our jhana meditation, cultivate it because it can be cultivated. Recognize what you're doing here is literally reclaiming your mind for yourself, regaining control of your mind or maybe, maybe gaining control of your mind for the first time and understanding what it means to be a human being the cessation of all of your contributions to stress so there should be rapture in this when you understand that when you've taken true refuge and we talk about that the rotana sutta often and that's important in order to to develop the right attitude such as rapture born of that seclusion so we've we've established we've established a, a refuge in the Dhamma. We've taken refuge in the Buddha, his Dhamma, in a well-focused and well-informed Sangha, and we start our jhana meditation. And I'm directing my thought. I'm recognizing that my thoughts are distracting me, and I direct my thoughts away from that to my breath, a directed thought. And in that process, in the beginning of my meditation, it is natural and obvious that I'm also evaluating what's occurring. Am I doing it right? Am I too distracted? Are there too many smells or noises in the world? Do I like what I'm doing? Is that crazy bald-headed guy worth listening to? All of these thoughts that are coming in our minds, we simply take a breath and come back to the sensation of breathing. And that is recognizing directed thought and evaluation without getting caught up in it. And as we do that, as concentration deepens further, the wise Dhamma practitioner enters and remains in the second jhana. Now, focus thoughts and insight still. That's an important line. Focus thoughts. We're not chasing after anything or any insight in jhana meditation. In fact, what the second level of jhana teaches us is to abandon any of that, any type of, of analysis in our meditation. Focus thoughts and insight still as a, as a consequence of breath meditation. And again, the Buddha is not saying focus thoughts and insight still for 20 minutes or for five minutes or for an hour. Focus thoughts and insight still as we enter and remain in the second jhana, as we breathe. My concentration is increasing. Focus thoughts and insight still. In that moment, we recognize that focus thoughts have still. It doesn't mean, again, that it's for any length of time. In the next moment, we might be caught up in our thoughts again. What do we do? We take a breath and we continue, continually establish 
these deepening levels of jhana. As concentration deepens, I'm reading that again. As concentration deepens further, they enter and remain in the second jhana, focused thoughts and insights still. Delight and pleasure born of composure and inner assurance arise. So as our concentration deepens, our composure deepens, our inner assurance deepens. Another way that the Buddha often refers to it, my restored words are, we start developing inner poise. This is, this is an aspect of establishing seclusion and presence, a mindful presence in the world that is characterized by that inner poise. After the Buddha awakened, he would walk around northern India and he would draw people to him, not because he was screaming at the top of his lungs like people do today to get attention. He would simply walk calmly through the, through the neighborhoods and people were attracted to him because of the way he carried himself, because he was devoid of eye-making in that moment. He was radiating a conflict-free mind, which is attractive to people. And I would bet that we've all, all of us that have been practicing the Dharma and all of us that have been practicing it long enough have noticed that, that people are drawn to us, especially when we're calm and conflict-free, because we are attractive to people in that way. As concentration deepens further, they enter and remain in the third jhana. The light and pleasure and the perception of pleasure and pain disappear. That can be a shock to some people who think that the whole point of life is to chase after pleasure. Because in jhana meditation, we know that we're not here to chase after pleasure because it's just another distraction. And we realize that as, as jhana, as concentration increases, we're able to recognize even the motivation towards the perception of pleasure or the or the aversion or the aversion of pain even the motivation the underlying distraction related to the connection to pleasure or pain that my life is either defined by pleasure pain or ambiguity and most of us can't stand the um, the lack of pleasure or pain in this moment because we're bored by the lack of that. So we grasp after one or the other. Usually in this moment, we're grasping after pleasure so that pain doesn't interrupt this moment. And we do this constantly. And so life becomes an ongoing distraction of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Constantly chasing after what makes me happy, I'm making, or what I need to avoid in this moment to take away from my happiness. Ongoing I'm making, ongoing stress rather than the liberation of simply being a reference point to what's occurring and understanding that what is occurring is simply a consequence of having a human life. Period. So, John, there can, even in the third genre, be pleasure, but there's no attachment. Yes. Did did everybody hear what David said? David said, asked the question, so even, or made the statement that even in the third genre, pleasure can be present, it's simply, how did you put it? You put it better than I was. just no attachment. Just no attachment to it. And, and pain as well. And so th- this third jhana is also where we're deepening our concentration, but learning something that we take off our cushion. Meaning off our cushion, we're no longer distracted by pleasure or pain in the moment because we've trained ourselves on our cushion to not be distracted by pleasure or pain in the moment. Thank you, Dave, for bringing up that such important point. Because now we're really getting down to where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because we are distracted by pleasure or pain. 
But as we deepen our concentration, the Buddha teaches us that that third level of concentration is developing the inner ability or deepening the inner ability to deal with this so that we have the wherewithal to end our attachment to pleasure or pain. The Buddha then says, equanimity and refined mindfulness increases and a peaceful mind prevails. So you, let me read it again and then ask you if you've recognized this in your meditation. Equanimity, a balanced mind and a refined mindfulness increase and a peaceful mind prevail. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and please raise your hand or, or, or actually please speak up. Have any of you not experienced that, what I just described? Equanimity is simply a balanced and calm presence of mind and a refined mindfulness increases and a peaceful mind prevails. Which, and again, no time frame on us. No, the Buddha doesn't say for one minute, five minute, 20 minutes. Have any of you not experienced it, even momentarily, but long enough to recognize it, what, the, what is described to you? Has anybody not? I don't think I have. But. <laughs> Thank you, Deb. So again, this teaching is not, is not so that I say, well, you're doing something wrong. Of course it's not. It's simply to say, okay, Deb, now look for it, and you will recognize it. Because if you're doing this method as it's directed, and from our conversations I know you are, you will start recognizing that your equanimity, your conflict-free mind, again, in that moment, lasts for more than a moment. It might just be two, but it's important to recognize it. When you recognize it, come back to the sensation of breathing, and also recognize that that's an aspect of your refined mindfulness meaning it's it's refined towards a usefulness and a very specific usefulness holding in mind the entire eightfold path so is that part is that part clear to you yes thank you again so again just to recognize that this third jhana is what you're developing and i i think that you i think you will recognize it um maybe in your next meditation session, but I would say rather quickly. And I think we're probably going to have a talk um, right after our retreat, and we can talk about it then if you're not. So, well, let's kind of plan on that. So I'll be away from Wednesday to, to Sunday, but maybe early, just after the 4th of July, we can talk then. Joe, yes. I find it easier. Uh, I, I, I'm more commonly see that third jhana off my cushion than on my cushion, strangely. Did you hear that, Deb? I did. Everybody help? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ron. How so? Explain. Um, I don't know quite why that is. Um, how does it, what's it, how does it manifest? Maybe a better way to ask. <clears throat> I, I can clearly, you know, I, I go through the turmoils of, of, of life. Um, even uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, of an, a, a complicated job uh, further complicated by the, the homeowner who is distraught because all of these things are not going perfect yeah. and um, it after a while it, it became clear to me that it, again it wasn't this wasn't me yeah. and that the whole you know, the Yes, there was pleasure and 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 pain there, 
you know, there was the pleasure of, of accomplishing things for, for me. What was what was ordinary to that situation it was just part of life. Yeah, the, the pleasure of born of doing yeah. a good job. And, and there was also the pain of of somebody, you know, yelling bloody mortar in, in my in my ear yeah. while I'm trying to concentrate. And but still, the day just went on. And things got done, and uh, um, nobody got murdered. <laughs> and you're right, but but it, it it could have been an extremely stressful situation. Um, pleasure is there, pain is there, but calm but, is also there. But calm is there. Conflict-free mind. Uh, I I have that for me is much easier to recognize in real life than somehow in 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 meditation. Um, because I tend to be much more strongly distracted in 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 meditation for some bizarre reason. But it's obviously working because you're able to see it off your cushion. Yeah, which yeah. is really the point. <laughs> it's, it, that that might be something. Do you have you recognized a deepening uh, calm off your cushion? Yes. That's the third jhana. Thank you, Ron. That was really important oh. to bring that out that way because uh, it, it is. And now that I think about it, this aspect, this third jhana, might be easier to, to notice off your question because the opportunity for conflict is obviously there off your question. Yeah. So, That's also yeah. insider. Thank you. Permanence. Yeah, thank you, Rob. That's such a, a good point. Uh, and David? It's the insight of the permanence. Yes. Did everybody hear that? This is insight of impermanence. Yeah. It's the insight of impermanence because... That underlining understanding that you're developing will allow you to know that all things conditioned will pass. Yeah. It passes yeah. away. And it's actually more obvious in, in real life than it is in, in meditation. It, it, it's what happened. It's such a, a tight situation. And your next breath is that impermanence mm -hmm. on your condition. So it's really just taking a simple horizon and passing away on the cushion off. And you're recognizing. Mm -hmm. it's Is everybody hearing this? So much more of a, a true example. Of Speak up, David. It's so important what you just said. What we what we are talking about brings it all the way back to the, to the structure study. Mm -hmm. What Ron was talking about, what David was talking about, what we're all talking about is in the moment the arising and the passing away of all phenomena, which is metaphorically and practically represented by our breath. That's why we use this meditation method because in the Warner was so good at this. I wish we were still part of our song. That's the arising. In the passing away of life, it is it is again a perfect metaphor and a practical example of my own life because my life, your life, everybody's life, the universe, as far as we're concerned, concerned physically, arises and passes away in a breath. And so, if we can be mindful of that one thing, we are present for our life as our life unfolds. Let me continue. As concentration deepens further. They, Mary, could you? Somebody's making. What is all that rustling? Maybe it's me. I mean, me. Oh, ah, that's you. That's yeah, that's me, John. Sorry. That's I don't okay. know. Sometimes it just unmutes by itself. That's, yeah, we're fine. 
the Buddhist continues, as concentration deepens further, they enter and remain in the four asana. Again, ask yourself, or are you, have you had this experience? They enter and remain in the fourth jhana. Mindful equanimity prevails. So again, there's no time frame on this, and this also refers to the quality of an awakened mind, but during developing jhana practice, it's important to recognize it's really just a longer um, expression of the third jhana where we're, we're, you could say that we're resting in equanimity for a bit longer. And greed and aversion in that moment disappear. And it, again, just to mention or just to recognize that in this moment, I don't want anything to be different. That's when greed and aversion have disappeared means my mind is free of conflict. I am just present with, with myself in the world. I don't need myself to be any different than I am because I can't be in this moment. That's just, that's just logical and, and uh, uh, mature thinking. And the world can't be any different than it is right in this moment, no matter what I think about what's going on in the world. Why? Because it's what's occurring. Again, it's just a reflection of a mature mind. And in, in so doing, by, by being liberated by liberating myself from my entanglements with the world, I'm able to live my life free of conflict. And so contribute as I, as I choose to, rather than ha- as I must, to the world around me and the people in my world. It's always my choice. That's true auspiciousness. We talk about that often. An auspicious moment is a moment that I am in control of my mind and control of my life. And it's what everybody wants. We just don't know how to do it. Most people think they can do it through acquisition, through getting a lot of things or a lot of recognition or a lot of power or the biggest house, you know, or whatever it might be. Or the, the you know, walls are a big thing, the tallest wall, whatever it might be that we use to separate ourselves from the world because we're, we're full of fear and we're full of greed. We don't want things to happen to us and we want to keep our stuff to ourselves. And we lose our lives and we lose our minds and so do it. Rather than doing what the Buddha teaches, to liberate ourselves and rest in this equanimity of the four shana and watch it expand as our Dhamma practice continues. Greed and aversion disappear. Imagine that. The Buddha says this is the development of concentration or jhana that brings peace and calm here and now. Not tomorrow. Not in some future life, not in some Tulsita Buddhist heaven, not somehow changing the past, right here and right now. And why is that so important? It's because right here and right now is where our life occurs. There is no value in improving my condition in some future life because I'm not there. I need to improve and understand the condition of this life. And that contradiction is what bothered me in all my earliest Buddhist studies. I mean, modern Buddhism until I came to the Buddhist daughter. Because it didn't make any sense to keep chasing after something in the future. Because I didn't know it, but what was motivating me is, what the hell am I? Am I? What am I doing in this world? And nothing satisfied that until I came to this. And this showed me what I am. A reference point to what's occurring. The training, the Buddha continues, the training and heightened wisdom brings the ending of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Through the ending of the defilements of these three, and the defilements of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, the wise Dharma practitioner remains in the defilement-free 
release from ignorance, ignorance of four noble truths. Again, this very narrow and well-directed focus. It is the eightfold path that brings us understanding of four noble truths so that we understand the nature of stress and, and our own contributions of stress so that we can stop. Period. Just stop. The Buddha continues. This wise Dharma practitioner has established profound wisdom fully mindful moment by moment of life as life occurs. A simple reference point, a conflict-free reference point to our own lives. Imagine that. And that's what we're developing. That's what we have. That's what we can own, no matter what's occurring in our life. This wise Dharma practitioner has established profound wisdom, fully mindful moment by moment as life occurs. This is called heightened wisdom. These are the three trainings of my Dharma. The trainings in heightened virtue, heightened concentration, and wisdom establish persistence, steadfastness, absorption in jhana, meaning deep concentration, refined mindfulness, and wise restraint. In this moment, these three trainings should be practiced consistently and in all situations with unlimited concentration. So how do we do this? How do we practice these three trainings consistently and in all situations? We have to develop unlimited concentration. How do we do it? The sutta teaches us how to do that too. And it teaches us how to recognize that we're actually doing it. Why? Because we, be, as the Buddha teaches, this is a practice of becoming rightly self-awakened. You're not awakening because I'm urging you or because other people are doing it. You are doing it yourself. In fact, you must do it yourself. And I think it is that last statement why most people don't do it because they don't want to do it themselves. They'd rather other people do things for them, or they prefer salvation over liberation, which is the defining characteristic between what the Buddha taught and what I found in all the rest of modern, modern Buddhism. It was that, that simple difference between salvation and liberation. And I didn't understand it at the time, but it was liberation from the need for salvation that I was really chasing after because I didn't understand what was it that I needed to be saved from in this moment. I was taught, I'm not, I don't want to go too deep into this. I, I was brought up in a, in a way, in a religion that said that as a consequence of me being born, there was something wrong with me. And I won't, again, I don't want to go too deep into it because I'm not knocking that religion. I'm knocking my relationship to that religion. It didn't sit with me. It sat with every other member of my family. So there was something in it that worked for them. It didn't work with me. And it was really on that point, I think, that got me going. What's wrong with me? I didn't do anything yet. I'm just here in the world. And it wasn't until 35 years later that I found something that affirmed that. That says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you save for what you think of yourself and then what you do because of it. And I did a lot of things that I wasn't happy for and that I needed to apologize for. But all of those were rooted out of ignorance. And once I recognized that and stopped doing a lot of the things that were underlying that behavior, I never hurt another person, even inadvertently, because I had developed enough concentration to not do that, to simply learn how to hold my tongue and act in a way that is harmless to others. And that is incredibly simple and incredibly liberating to do that. The whole world is trying to come up with structures and laws and rules about how we can stop hurting ourselves and each other and the environment. 
But we can do it naturally by simply developing the dollar. And we will remain harmless to ourselves and others through that last, through wise restraint. These three trades should be practiced consistently and in all situations with unlimited concentration. The Buddha continues. These are the three trades that bring pure understanding as opposed to a tainted or an unpure understanding or an aggravated, not an aggravated, a, um, a self-centered understanding. I know everything rather than understanding for noble truths. The, the, the Buddha continues, developing these, these trainings, you will be called, not by many, but by us, you will be called a rightly self-awakened one who has completed the path. The cessation of ignorance of four noble truths and the craving for self-satisfaction extinguishes the fires of passion. That's the end of the sutra. Thank you all for listening to this. Most important, as I say, uh, sutta. So um, it's just to characterize this, this sutta again and maybe just bring it right back again to what it's teaching us. is It is the eightfold path that, that is the path that develops these three trainings in heightened wisdom, heightened virtue, and heightened concentration. And those, those three characteristics are... Um, symbiotic but they all rest in right meditation or right concentration and as we see it's that concentration that ultimately supports the refined mindfulness that resolves in this present moment resting in right view secluded from the world you know in my little bubble but not not this not disengaged in the world in an in an ineffectual way, disengaged in a way that is rooted in ignorance. I am more mindfully engaged now in the world than I've ever been in my life. And that's why this moment has such great meaning for me because it doesn't need to be any different than it is to have that meaning. Why? Because I'm present for it. And so I bring all, and we all do, bring all the meaning that each moment in our lives has. But how do we make that meaningful? We have to be present for it because we're the ones that are doing the meaning making. <laughs> it's made up another word. We are the meaning makers in this moment. That could almost be a, a thing. Meaning makers in this moment. But it really is. So, and when we when we start resolving our uh, uncontrolled views that are attached on this thing and that thing and all the things that are popping up today and all the. Uh, issues that seem so immediate in the world today and all our own immediate issues, they can all start resolving in right view and um, a less than critical or a lack of criticism of this moment, meaning simply being present, mindfully present for what's occurring without the need for me to make it any different. Because it, and when I look back, we just talked a little bit about my life prior to the Dhamma and how I, I inadvertently hurt people, we all have, and how I never did that once I resolved some issues in my life. And it is because of that, standing on the liberation found in the Eightfold Path, that in this moment, I know that I am not, I no longer can harm myself because I have control of my mind and I can no longer harm you or harm another person because I have control of my mind in this moment. And that is pure liberation. And it is only then 
that I, when I recognize my harmlessness in the world, because I'm not, I am free of conflict, that I am truly a rightly self-awakened one. And that's what we are developing. It's what we are all developing. It's what Ron was talking about when he, when he was speaking of that moment that in the past might have brought conflict up in him. He was able to maintain a well-concentrated mind and no conflict arose. It was a perfect example of wise restraint in his moment. Could that just, I don't even know if it's part of the Dhamma, but it's wise engagement. That's a, another great way to put it. Wise engagement with the world. Is it, is it, dis, is it a, uh, it's the right word, a disjointed engagement? Or engagement out of, uh, out of self. Refined engagement. The practice has trained you to wisely go into that moment and not take it personally. So therefore there couldn't be any further suffering on that person's part. Yep. You had a little way. You didn't contribute to it. Even though that person was upset and you didn't fall into the need to make them not upset. You just didn't contribute to to them being upset, which helped the situation. And so let's go around. The other person was almost hell bent in being upset. Yeah. That was her, her MO. Yeah. Uh, she was a therapist, by the way. <laughs> yeah, she knew how to win arguments. I thought she did. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, they're, they're... And I'm starting to recognize it as this was going on. You know, I don't need to, to make her upset go away. Yeah. I basically can't. Yeah, but, but if you allow for, for the situation to diffuse if it can, and if it can, again, at least you're not contributing yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and the end, she said, uh, how can you be so calm with all this? Yeah. You should have said, I go to Cross River Meditation Center twice <laughs> yeah. a week. Yeah. Well, that's really true, isn't it? Yeah. That would have been a true answer. So you should have said it. I'm just kidding. So as we go around, maybe you could recount your own... Um, experiences of this wise restraint in the moment and it's okay you can talk about anything a lot but that's really what we're talking about in this sutta and in the structured study is being able to do this so let's start we'll start with mary good morning mary good morning um so i i made some notes because i think um i think this is helpful to understand that as we're learning you know early on we'll have some you know aha moments and validation with the world that keeps us going on our path because we recognize that this is working for us in our lives right and so there's sort of like a cycle i i'm gonna lay out anyway and that you can go sort of back and forth on this line where you come to the Dhamma and you have, I mean, not a lot of self-awareness, you're ignorant of the Four Noble Truths, um, but you lack a self-awareness as to where your suffering is coming from, why you're suffering. Then you start to recognize it and still get caught up in a snag once in a while because you're wrestling with something. So, for example, even last week, after me, I've been doing this for many years, I still will run up against something that I get caught up on longer than I should, and then I let it go, right? So as as you do that more and more, 
you recognize, you assess it, you let it go. And those windows get smaller and smaller with the goal being recognition of ignorance. Um, yes. And then, and so you adopt wise restraint and like you were just saying, not contributing to the entanglements around you or the people and things in your life that, um, you know, are causing conflict or stress to arise in you, um, which can then make you adopt a behavior of disengagement, right? So there might be a time in your practice where you're finding great success because you've learned how to disengage from the entanglements of the world. But that's not entirely living in the world. And then to David's point, it's when you can arrive at a place of wise engagement so that you've gone from some level of withdrawing. And, you know, you hear a lot of that in what everybody's saying, that there's this uh, isolation, this um, withdrawal. There's the safety net of being in the Dhamma and your daily meditation practice and all of that, which, you know, technically we've said many times that when you're going through this, it probably shouldn't look a lot different to the people who love you and the people who are in your life. But it can, if you get caught up in this wise restraint place too much and you get disengaged. And so getting to the place of wise engagement, which is filled with loving kindness to me is the goal. And so I think as you're going through the practice, you go through phases of this and you need to recognize those phases too, because you're still on a journey. You haven't arrived yet. You can't get too comfortable in the disengaged stage and you have to learn how to engage in the world off your cushion, living by the Eightfold Path, which is very engaged and should feel very loving to the people all around yeah. you. That's what, what, I, that, what an outstanding teaching, Mary. Thank you so much. That was great. Really was. Good morning, Deb. Well, I should Deborah, because there's a Deb here too. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks, Mary. Um, I guess I don't have anything to add right now. Uh, I'm glad you joined us, Deb. I look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise. And again, any of you have to talk about before I, you know, before I retreat, just, just send me an email. We'll set it up. Thank you. You know, John, if I could just say quickly Please. to Deborah um, that when we, when I first started in the practice, one of the things that John would say to everybody participating is, "How is your practice going?" and something else right and so if you feel you don't have anything to say you might just tell us how your practice is going because just by you talking shows john where your head's at in your practice oh yeah so you don't have to have anything big to say or an aha or anything like that it could be i i had a successful week i was able to sit twice for 20 minutes or it could be you know what i i wasn't able to do that because then people will chime in and help you get through that, whatever you're, whatever you're bumping up against, even if it's the simplest thing. So that's another way to participate. You don't have okay. to have big thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so yeah. much for permission. Yeah. 
That's and you want me to say anything now? Well, it only if you, but it, it, it will, Mary gives you great advice that it will allow us to give you feedback, but also the reason why we do this in this manner is so that we all, most importantly, the teachers get to understand where you're at. And of course it is by you talking about your practice. But if you, again, you could just describe that you enjoy it or you don't. It's okay to say, yeah, it, it should be said that it's okay to, that if you disagree with what we're doing or your experience isn't exactly what we're describing, it's okay to say that as well. So, oh, yeah. But whatever you like to say or not say is fine. So that being said, it's your second chance, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been um, sitting 20 minutes twice a day, and I would describe those just as still very distracted or caught up in my thoughts. And I'm so happy to do them. This is the longest um, series of meditations that I've stuck with. So that, that's outstanding. That's just, I'm I feel glad about that. So yeah, thank you. I mean, this old Dhamma teacher feels feels glad about it too. <laughs> um, and you're you're able to maintain the the method. You recognize you're caught up in your thoughts or a feeling or a thought attached to a feeling, and you come back to your breath. Correct? Yes. Yeah. That's it. And you so your your practice is as it should be. And I can tell from other things that you say that you're developing it as intended. So thank you for, for sharing that today with us. And uh, uh, I look forward to talking to you. And, and I don't know if everybody knows it, that Deborah is in, is taking our teacher training. She just started it. So uh, in, in a, you know, 20 or 30 years, you'll be an audit. In yeah. a couple of years, you'll be another one of our teachers. So. 20 or 30 sounds about right. <laughs> no. You'll, you're going to get there quicker than you think, I think. Kevin, welcome. Good to see you again. Good to see you, John. Um, and thanks for the teaching. Um, my practice has been going well. I have been sitting um, daily 30 minutes typically in the mornings and sometimes another 30 minutes at night. And so, um, you know, and I am finding more... Um, you know, calm during my meditations as well, as well as finding more kind of um, awareness uh, um, in in my life around certain kind of things. Um, actually, today I had some some smiles while we were meditating because I realized that I am kind of caught up in some of the worldly news things with the Supreme Court, you know, yeah. things that are going on and things like that. And was able to really step outside and realize how that's been affecting me in the daily life. And hey. You know, as it relates to like right action, I have been becoming aware of, you know, certain ways that I've almost felt bored in my life, if that makes sense, where I've been kind of using food and maybe sleep and other um, ways to kind of just fill time. And, um, and while I may not be practicing wise restraint the way that the Buddha is talking about it, I'm aware of it and I'm not judging myself as part of that. So I think that's... Right tied into my meditation practice and just allowing myself to be that there's a lot less judgment and um you know more awareness um which i think will allow you know more of the right action and and, and restraint that that we were talking about today so that's kind of where i'm at with uh yeah thank you Karen. again you're describing um uh, a well-focused dharma practice you might want to start looking a little as you mentioned right action look at right speech but primarily what you're telling yourself you know the internal dialogue i think you're going to gain some uh, deeper insight in that way but you 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 really gain some insight into 
the thing we call the three marks of existence. So good for you. I, I hope you join us more often. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. And I wish I could join you guys on the retreat, but uh, fortunately I'll be traveling someplace else. But I do look forward to, to joining you guys in person soon. Yeah, and we, again, we'll have we'll have another in-person retreat next uh, summer, and we have we're going to have um, uh, hybrid retreats here throughout the year too. I think either in the spring, uh, in the fall, we'll have another one or early next year. So, uh, great. Please join us. We have three classes a week. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Hello, Brian. Hi, John. Um, I found myself in the airport yesterday with an extended layover. And actually sat and meditated in public for, I think, the first time. Oh, how was that? And it was solid. <laughs> um, you know, a, a similar metaphor occurred to me that I was just this eye of a storm, right? I was, I was secluded in this little island of mine, right, that's, that's well-concentrated and just this this maelstrom of sensory indulgence and distraction around me um, and just completely unaffected by it. Um, and then I, I did want to talk a bit about it too. I, I've noticed lately that I, I'm feeling that concentration deepens as a, almost as a physical event in my meditation yeah, I can feel this shift between the absorptions. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I, I did get to a point, have gotten to a point where I'm just there. There's that emptiness of the greed and the the uh, the uh, aversion and the deluded thinking. You recognize just, it. Yeah. yeah. So I think you said something key that you know I I wasn't allowing myself or didn't have the awareness early on to to recognize that, that these things are happening. I think it's just that it takes that time to get the concentration to where you have that, that space to see it or feel it or whatever the the right term is. Um, Yeah. To recognize these deepening levels. And you just said something that's so important, Brian. That's why one thing, that's why this, the teachings on the levels of jhana are probably in 50 or a hundred different suttas. And I teach taught, most of the suttas that say exactly the same thing in mm-hmm. slightly different contexts, but yet yeah, this is this is the point to be able to do just just this to deepen concentration so that we can practice refined mindfulness and, yeah, and it, beautifully. And it um, the meditations are wonderful, but but taking it off the cushion and just it's just natural now to be calm. Yeah, and and and. <laughs> Go ahead. So, no, I, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but you be, so you you put in a, a, about a year's worth of effort. Is that right? I think it seems like about a yeah, year. Yeah, 15 Maybe. months, 14, 15 months. Yeah. Yeah. And you developed a Dhamma. And you come regularly, almost every week. I don't think you've missed one week, maybe one or two. A few. Uh, yeah. And so you've developed it. You've engaged in right effort. You you developed a Dhamma as you were taught. And you've reaped the benefits. You're just, again, I'm just saying all this because yeah. it's just like that. It, it, again, uh, in this moment, Ryan is a great example of Dhamma practice. But we all are. We're all doing it, you know. And it is just that way. You do it over time. It keeps keep at it. And these are the, the benefits. And so you've developed a rather profound 
uh, conflict-free mind, I would say. Yeah, there's there's very little these days that that disturbs it. Uh, How would you describe your mind two years ago? Again, I sound I sound like I'm I'm a game show here, but I mean it's important for this is part of recognizing Dharma practice. Yeah, well, well, Bob, gonna... let me tell you about my mind two years ago. Um, it was it was a hot mess. Yeah. Um, it's it's much quieter now for sure. Yeah. But my and, my external world has become quieter too. I just I don't have the entanglements. I don't I don't have the desire or the craving for things anymore. It's just it's all it's just all the package, right? Like it's the it's the it's the whole thing. How did you make this change? This profound change in your life? Not acting as a reporter. Do an interview, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're gonna say, and then the next I mean, felt bad. Then the next question, the most important question is, who did it? And it's not a trick question. Yeah, no, it's all me. And I, yeah. I was talking to somebody yesterday or this week that that at some point in life, you either have the revelation or you don't, that it's all you. All of your pain, all of your suffering, all of your distress is all you. What did they say? Oh, they just go, oh, yeah, that, sure, that sounds right, right? But you, until you have that, like, deep experience. Yeah. It's just words. And you, yeah, and you, you, all you can do is talk about it, but the a four right. path allows you to have the experience. And once That's you right. have it, just, again, and that, having, recognizing that experience is as important as recognizing the deepening levels of jhana, simply because it becomes self-encouraging. Them. You're recognizing right. your dharma practice is bearing fruit. You keep going. And you do things like like you've done. You've made a decision to go on a retreat next week yeah. because you found benefit in the dharma practice. And also you're able to. I'm, I'm saying that because some people aren't just able to go on retreat right now. But, you know, it, it is just what I'm all what I'm saying, using you as an example of is, is dharma practice. This is how you do it. And these are the results. So thank you, Brian. Good morning, Dev. Dev. Hi, John. How are you? Hi. I'm good. I um, actually, I have a a couple of questions, but I'm a bit foggy, so I, I sort of need your patience in order to get through it. You got it. Um, yesterday, yesterday I was uh, cleaning up my apartment, and then I came across a bag that had things that I had to take out and put away and the bag was tied the, the it was tied up with like this really uh, awful knot it was in you know i was considering maybe having to sacrifice this bag to cut the knot off and then i just thought well what if i were to change the pace that i'm going about my day uh going about this activity and just focus in on this knot and see if maybe I could just figure out how to unknot it. And that actually worked. And there was something about that that reminded me a lot of my experience of uh, meditating. Yeah. Which is um, sort of, sort of, um, yeah, just putting attention to what it is I'm trying to do. And, and then, uh, changing the pace of my mind and to, to get there. And, um, so that, that makes sense to you all. That's not confused at all. That, that's rather profound. 
that's what meditation does. It starts stilling our mind, quieting our mind. So it's and it's great that you recognize it that. Right, because it, it's it seems like uh, like with the knot, what I was trying to do was, um, like, well, this is what's going on here now in the moment, and yeah. uh, it's you know I have to sort of wrangle my mind to to uh, to address like this this thing that's happening in a moment. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the yeah. knot is a great metaphor for what you're doing, what we're doing with our own minds. We're, you know, we're unknotting all the entanglements in our minds and in our lives it's really it's a, it's a great insight that so that was one non-confused aspect what other non-confused question do you have or well, statement um that that led me to think about uh, uh, the, the, what i'm wondering is when you when we achieve uh when we're learning to achieve equanimity in our practice um even is, is it true that, like, even for you or even for the Buddha, uh, you would still get knocked out of equanimity, even, you know, even, uh, yeah, even the Buddha, but, but we're, we're able to recognize that and, and bring it back? Or is it, do you get to a point where you just permanently stay in equanimity? Well, I do. The Buddha never did. He never achieved that state, but I, <laughs> uh, the, and, and I understand you. it's such an important question because it, it really is. So what's it like? And well, part, part of the part of the reason part of the reason that makes me wonder that is because if I were to take the, the insight of the impermanence of, of life, then I would conclude that it must be that that, that yeah, even after uh, awakening, the, the Buddha would still um, experience uh yeah, being being knocked out of equanimity and then coming back to equanimity because nothing is permanent. So how could you achieve a permanent state of equanimity? Oh, the the it's such a great question because the and it's the because isn't even the right word to use there. Impermanence continues post awakening because everything is impermanent, including my thoughts, but. Because I have control of my mind, those things that occur in the world, that arise in the world, that might otherwise prove um, distracting to my mind in some way, because I've now developed that concentration as we've talked to talked about, it simply no longer affects me. So they, that, that human being, the Buddha, me, Mary, who I'm going to call on in a, in a moment, um, are simply living, I, I like to be using this word more, gracefully not not something's bestowed on me just you it just describes that quality of moving gracefully moving harmlessly through the world uh and that is that is an aspect and an appreciation of the inner poise that we are contacting with that you just described that that you touched when you're able to do what you what you're the amount of restraint that you're able to apply in your life mary you had your hand up Mary? Mary! No, I did not have my hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you did. Okay. And also, John, Let, let's, uh, let's go to David. I'm a teacher, David. Achieve the jhanas are an achievement. You don't have ownership over them. They're impermanent and not to complicate this. They're a fabrication. Yep. 
So you experience equanimity in the next moment. It may not be there, but your quality of your mind through your practice has been developed that you're more likely to experience that more often. Yeah. And equanimity is, is something that is, um, it's an underlying quality of mind, just like concentration. So in the moment, the world is going around. Uh, Kevin just mentioned the Supreme Court. That's got you know, so many people losing their minds over, over that. Um, when you don't have to. When you, when you, can, you can just say, no, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It's something that occurs in the world that literally doesn't have anything to do with me, save for when I'm in a situation that it's about but you know out of that i don't i could i could maintain a calm and peaceful mind no matter what's occurring because i don't take it personal it's not happening to me it's happening around me and i can sit in equanimity uh rom do you have anything to comment on Ron? i just wanted to add on to uh, what mary said to uh, deborah <coughs> as far as uh, contributing in class, um, this is how the Sangha functions. With this, it's dependent on the participation of that. Thank you, Al. <laughs> yeah, we are we're fortunate to have a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Uh, I think you're seeing, Deb, how the, uh, how the Sangha makes the Dhamma much more than if it was just one person here, you know, kind of giving their opinion about how we should be in the world. Rather, it's very well-focused on the suttas, and that's what we talk about, um, or not, you know. But uh, thank you all for your participation this morning. Uh, we're finished with Meta as we always do. Uh, again, we won't have a class uh, this coming Thursday or Saturday as we will be on retreat. There will be a class this Tuesday evening uh, that kind of leads into our retreat. Uh, Jen will be teaching that class too. Uh, it's, to me, it's kind of a, 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 a special suit for Jen to teach. So uh, if you can, please join us Tuesday evening. Uh, to, again, to my mind, it's kind of a special class. I'm looking forward to it. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. I mean, today was a special class too because I was teaching the book. All right, so take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddhist words on Meta from the Karaniya Meta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, 
those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to pure, to, by not holding to fixed youth, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.